Let's open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. The last epistle written by the Apostle Paul before his departure. And it expresses in a couple of places his confidence in eternal life for himself. Last Lord's Day, when we were on this subject of assurance of eternal life, we looked from the beginning of the Bible toward the end at all the evidence of eternal life that is defined there for us or identified there for us. When you read the pages of Scripture, you find defining characteristics of the righteous and defining characteristics of the wicked. There's a great chasm between the two, and it's easy to look and see what side you are on, but Lord, help us to be more and more on the side of the righteous. We're looking now at... Verses of Scripture that give us confidence, that remind us we can know that we have eternal life. And those are the ones that we want to emphasize this morning, and I want to go through the basic evangelical graces that begin and lead up toward the good works that prove we have eternal life. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, the apostle having encouraged Timothy, beginning in verse 7, not to have the spirit of fear but to understand that they had been saved with an eternal salvation according to the purpose and grace of God, that Jesus Christ had now appeared and made it manifest by His abolishing of death, that Paul was a preacher and a teacher and an apostle of that glorious gospel. And he says in 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Though the Apostle Paul was in prison writing this final epistle of his to his ministerial understudy Timothy, he wasn't ashamed because he knew the gospel was the glorious message of God's grace in salvation. He wasn't ashamed of it. And when you put your trust in the Lord completely, you'll never be ashamed of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he went on to say, I know whom I have believed. Yesterday when I wrote you, I pointed out that he didn't say, I know that I have believed. Arminians, if you were to ask them, how do you know you're saved? I know that I've believed. But the Apostle Paul didn't say, I know that I've believed. He said, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that that God I believed on is able to keep my soul that I've committed to Him against that great day. And that's the great day of judgment. He knew that God would preserve him through Jesus Christ, his Lord. There's his confidence. He says, I'm not ashamed. He says, I know. He says, I am persuaded. We shouldn't be ashamed. We should know and we should be persuaded. If we come over to the fourth chapter, his last chapter penned, we can read these words, and we've read them before. I want to remind you that now he doesn't say, I know whom I have believed. He's looking more to the evidence in his life to know that that God had a crown of righteousness laid up for him. Second yeah. Timothy 4, 6, For I am now ready to be offered. He knew he was about to die. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. When the apostle said that he finished his course, did he make it through the last hundred meters? Yeah. That's right. The last lap? Yeah. 
I've finished my course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. See, there is a day in which we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But if we live our lives properly, we can come toward that day with confidence, with persuasion, knowing that there's a crown of righteousness, Christ's righteousness laid up for us. And the apostle goes on to say that this righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. We'll never be the Apostle Paul. We'll never finish a course like he did. We'll never fight a fight like he did. And we will not keep the faith quite the way he did against all the opposition that he did. However, what does he lay out for us to do to be like him? So there's a crown of righteousness laid up for us. It says there in the last part of verse 8, Do you love his appearing? That's truly believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that you love Him. You embrace Him. You pursue Him and seek Him and think upon Him and meditate upon Him and cleave to Him and run to Him. And love is appearing. You're looking forward to Him coming. You are not like Psalm 39 and verse 6 described men who are making a vain show of piling up riches in this world. You know that your real riches are in the world to come. And your love and look is to Christ. Your affection and attention is toward heaven and Jesus Christ. It is the difference between a Christian and a worldling. It is a difference between a spiritually minded Christian and a carnally minded Christian. Lord, help us to be the spiritually minded Christians. When we are talking about confidence in the Word of God about salvation, like the Apostle Paul had, and as we saw earlier this morning from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 9, evidence is one thing. Last Sunday, looking at the evidence from Cain and Abel, and their obedience and disobedience, respectively, obedience and dis- disobedience and obedience, respectively, in the, in the uh, order that I put those names, to the days of the flood, and all the way through the Bible, there is a description of the righteous and the wicked, and that's evidence. Evidence is one thing, but confidence is another. When we're looking at evidence, we're just looking at, this is what a saved person looks like, this is what an unsaved person looks like. But, Pastor, I want to go past that. I want to know, can I know that I'm saved? Can I know that I've passed from death into life? Can I know that I have eternal life? Can I know that I'm God's elect? And yes, you can. And Lord, help us toward that end. Confidence in evidence is the key. Are you confident in the evidence you have and the promises of the Bible that that evidence is proof of eternal life? I just gave you one right here. You can be like Paul and know that there is a crown of righteousness laid up for you by loving His appearing. Do you know what we're supposed to be doing with each other as a church? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Those words are the last part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. All that wonderful event that's going to come in a day very soon. The timetables that we are given in the Bible for unfulfilled prophecy have run their course. 
We are not speaking as if we were preaching in 1000 AD or the Apostle Paul was speaking. We can know that the significant events that had to run their course so that Paul would say in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 that that day is not at hand. It is at hand. Because those two big events, the falling away and the revelation of the man of sin have both taken place. Oh, are you looking for His coming? Are we, are we looking forward to that? Remember that the only basis of eternal life is in God's will and Christ's work for us. So when we talk about our evidence, we are never talking about earning our way to heaven or any meritorious or instrumental value in initiating or consummating or completing the work of salvation. It is simply the evidence and proof of a saved person so that they can know that they have eternal life. I never want that to be misunderstood, and it should not be misunderstood. Our eternal life is entirely based upon God's love and Christ's work apart from any will or works of our part. And we've already covered that material in this study. The first step in confidence about eternal life is to learn that covenant salvation from election to final glorification is all the work of God and it is guaranteed by the Lord Jesus Christ who is the surety of our redemption. Confidence comes by knowing God's eternal plan and Jesus Christ's guarantee of performance. The next step is to identify how greatly God has changed us by His internal work of salvation so that we look different from natural men. This is how we gain confidence that we have eternal life. Faith working by love and proving itself by works show that you have a nature other men don't have. And the more we can show those character traits that the righteous have and the wicked don't have, the more you can know you're God's elect. And so the emphasis of the Bible keeps propelling us toward greater and greater righteousness, walking more and more with the Lord Jesus Christ, greater and greater holiness, greater and greater hatred of sin. All the virtuous things that the Bible teaches should come as a result of us considering the subject of the assurance of eternal life. The first evangelical response to the gospel is to believe it. And I finished with this last Lord's Day, but let me take a few minutes to review that. Because in our hatred of decisional regeneration, which is a proper scriptural hatred of that heresy, in our hatred of decisional regeneration, let us not reduce our response to the gospel to nothing. Let us not reduce our response to the gospel to mere mental assent which the devils have. Let each of us come to Christ and embrace Him fully by faith and own Him as the only Savior that can save us from the lake of fire and that we deserve to be there. But He laid down His life for us. Let us come before and humbly fall before His feet as the Lord and King of the universe and that He has a right to dictate how we live our lives. This is coming to Christ as Savior and Lord. We come humbly and repentant, and I'm going to go through these stages of how we ought to come to Christ individually and personally. It doesn't matter that you were brought up in the faith. You need to personally embrace Jesus Christ for yourself. You need to come into Him and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. We can do that every time we go to Him. We're not getting re-saved like we used to think when we did that, or saved for the first time, because the first thousand didn't count, we're just reassuring ourselves and telling Him again that He is our only hope of everlasting life. And so we, we, 
we want to be careful, brethren. You know, it is hard to stay on the crown of the road when we've got these ditches on both sides that we have come out of. And they're still screaming in our memories because we have heard so many sermons and so much emphasis from a certain ditch on what, on various subjects. And we tend, because we hate that ditch, to overreact and uh, create another one on the other side of the road. Right. We don't want to do that. Right, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Is that a true statement? Amen. Absolutely. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be born again? No. But if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in that great day of judgment, will you be confounded? No. No. Will you be ashamed? No. Will you be given everlasting life? Yes. We just want to make our believing sure. And so there's passages like James chapter 2 where the man says, I have faith and I'll show you my faith by my works. Thou hast faith without works. How will you show your faith to me? Well, you can't. So the apostle asked the rhetorical question, can faith save him? What's the answer to that rhetorical question? No. So it's got to be a progression from faith. And so Peter takes that up by telling us to add to our faith and so forth. Brethren, we don't want to neglect the chief first evangelical response to the gospel. And that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The eunuch would say, see, here is water. Philip, you've been preaching Jesus to me from Isaiah 53 that this man took upon him the iniquities of all of God's elect. I believe that. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. The eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But you remember, what passage was he being taught Jesus from? Isaiah 53. What was Isaiah 53 all about? What, Isaiah 53 is all about salvation, isn't it? Right. It's not about the virgin birth. It's not about so much His resurrection from the dead, though that's certainly assumed in the last verse or two. It's the cross of Christ right. and His death, His substitutionary death. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. That's what Philip had just been teaching the eunuch And so the eunuch believed that Jesus Christ was the Savior that would deliver him from the wrath of God in the day to come. And so he believed that, and that was the evidence. And Philip said, listen, you're ready for baptism if you believe it with all your heart. He said, I believe it. If someone comes to you and says, sirs, sir, ma'am, what must I do to be saved? What should your words be? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Right. Then, when you take them home and they're scrubbing your back where they had lashed you earlier and they're fixing supper for you and it takes most of the night, then you can explain to them, do you know why you sprang into my office and didn't kill yourself? Do you know why you asked about the gospel that we had preached that had caused us to be thrown into this prison? Because God had already regenerated you. And when I said to you that if you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming from heaven, jailer to burn up this earth. But in that great day, you've shown the evidence that you have eternal life. And you'll be owned one of God's elect in that day. That is what we believe. We do not ignore Acts 16, 31, verse 31. We use it. So let's go to John chapter 3 and use a verse there. John chapter 3. All you children in here, we want you to believe. 
That Jesus Christ is God's Son. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead, ascended up into heaven, and sits at God's right hand. That Jesus Christ owns the book of life now. And it's His blood that gives eternal life to all those that are in it. That He's the only Savior from sin and there's no other way. And the first step of obeying Jesus Christ is to believe that He's the Son of God and the only Savior from sin. And then we go from there. But we must each come to terms with the Lord Jesus Christ and humble ourselves before Him and casting all else away, nothing in my hands I bring, simply and only to Thy cross I cling. Lord Jesus, I come. We understand that a person that does that, whether they're a child or an adult, is already born of God. If they're already born of God, they're already justified by Christ. If they're already justified by Christ, they're already elected and predestinated by Almighty God in eternity past and put into an eternal union with Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, if I'm going to give you the assurance of eternal life, I have to tell you the first response, and that is to embrace and fall before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I come. I believe that You are God's Son, that He sent to be the substitute for me, that I might be given Your righteousness when You took my sins upon You on the cross of Calvary. Lord, what wilt Thou have me to do? And then that leads us through repentance, through baptism, through good works, through laying hold of eternal life, and through continuing to live righteously for Him. John chapter 3. Jesus is with Nicodemus. Let me lay a couple verses on you. John 3, verse 14. Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What does this lifted up mean? Jesus would be put on a cross. Just like a brass serpent was put on a cross in Numbers chapter 21. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. God would put His Son on a tree in order to purchase eternal life for everyone that believes on Him. That's all that it says. Because the rest of the, the rest of the Gospel of John, including the chapters that led up to 3.14, have already taught us, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. John 1.11 But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's John 1, 11 through 13. Don't you stop when you don't have a period. You don't have the right to take a half a sentence out of the Word of God. We don't want to violate context, even when it's multiple sentences, let alone context when it's within the sentence. Before we ever get to John 3, verses 14 through 16, and other verses in this third chapter, we've already been taught in chapter 1 that those that ever receive Jesus Christ or believe on Him were born. Before they believed. Before they received Him. They were born. And it wasn't the will of the flesh. Before you're born again, how many wills do you have? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You have the will of the flesh. So before you're born again and you're in the will of the flesh, what can your flesh do with its will in order to be born again? According to John 1.13, nothing. 
Okay, what if there's someone else that wants to get you saved like a great parent or a godparent, as in so many large denominations? Is that cut out as well by John 1.13? Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. No parent standing in for you. No priest standing in for you. No pastor standing in for you. No godparent standing in for you can save you. You have to be born of God. Okay. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God would put His Son on a cross and hang Him up between heaven and earth. And He would lose His life in order to purchase eternal life so that those that believe on Him would not perish. But those that believe on Him are already born again of God. Because we've already read John chapter 1 before we get to John 3. Now let me help you out a little bit. Do you remember the story of the brass serpent? These murmuring Israelites provoked God so that He sent fiery serpents among them. And they bit the people. And the words are in Numbers 21 and verse 6, I believe. It's verse 6. Much people died. Died. Would you please tell me how much Moses' brass serpent helped all the people that were already dead? Would you help me? Looking at Christ and coming to Christ and believing on Christ does not give life. You go to Christ because He gave you life before you went to Him. Is what the Gospel of John teaches over and over again. They were much people already dead. Those that were alive could look to that brass serpent and know that God had preserved them alive. We can look to Christ and believe on Him and embrace Him and know in our hearts that we have a true and sincere love for Him and we want to obey Him and know that He has saved us and given us life. For God so loved the world. Now to Nicodemus, this was a shocker to stick in that five-letter word world. For God so loved the world, that's His elect among the Jews and the Gentiles, that He gave His only begotten Son. When you have that little word so and a that, it does not say, for God loved the world so very, very much. That is not what that verse is saying. It says, for God so loved the world that, so that in this way God showed His love for the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The verse is a statement of fact that believers have everlasting life and the reason and the basis on which they have everlasting life is that God loved them and sent His Son to die on the cross for them. That's all that it's teaching. John chapter 1 has already taught us that. John chapter 3 has already taught us that. How are we born again? John 3, 8 says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. You can't control that spirit. God regenerates whom He will. And they in turn believe. Why in the world did Nicodemus come to Jesus Christ and say to Him, Rabbi, we know that Thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that Thou doest except God be with him. What did the rest of the ministerial association say about the miracles of Jesus Christ? He doeth them by the power of Beelzebub. Praise God. Nicodemus was already born again when he came to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus laid on him truth he had never heard of before. In all his years of seminary, he had never heard about being born again. So he asked Jesus, does that mean when I'm old, I need to get back inside my mother's womb? Now this is from a THD. Jesus said, come on. You ought to know better than that. Then he goes on and explains these things. I don't have any more time right here. But do you want to know that you have eternal life from these three verses? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never perish. You have eternal life. Look at John 5, 24. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. No amount of looking, no amount of studying would have shown us the order of salvation if you hadn't shown it to us. We are not able. We are not wise enough. We have not applied ourselves well enough. Thank you, blessed God. John chapter 5 and verse 24. I know I've been over these verses. You want assurance of eternal life? You love these verses and you do not mind hearing them again. I love the old, old story is what the song says that we sing. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Isn't that what we've already learned in John 1 and John 3? Hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. He will not perish but is passed from death into life. Are you able to understand this verse? Are you able to explain this verse? That would be the next step. Are you able to defend this verse would be the final step, and that's a big one. But do you know this verse? He that heareth and believeth on me are present tense verbs. He, A person that is hearing and believing right now. What does it say about him? Hath everlasting life. Hath is a present tense verb, but that verb means is in possession of everlasting life. But now notice, if you sneak ahead, you can already tell he's already got eternal life before he hears and believes because of the last clause that says, is passed from death unto life. That's cheating, though, to read the whole sentence before we explain the middle part of the sentence? No, I don't think so. He that heareth and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. He is in possession of everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. So in that future great day of judgment, he will not perish but is passed from death into life. That is passed is a perfect tense verb, meaning that the action occurred in the past and is perfect when we get to the present. So that when you're hearing and believing, there was a past action that has already been perfected, and that is you are passed from death into life, and that's why you're able to believe. So do you want to have assurance of eternal life? We're talking about assurance today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And you say to me, but pastor, you put it in the future tense. Yes, I put it in the future tense, because what we're talking about is the great day of judgment. Of course it's in the future tense. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you already are saved. Pastor, what do you mean by that? You're already born again. Oh, my brethren, do you know how blessed we are? You say, how do I get born again? Well, the next five verses tell you by the voice of the Son of God. Right. Not the Bible about the Son of God, not preaching about the Son of God, but the voice of the Son of God. We were there before. Look at John six forty four. Let's just look at the Gospel of John for a couple more minutes. Oh, the time is just fleeing so fast. But John six forty four. No man can come to me 
except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. No one can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ except God has already drawn them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that drawing involve? It involves regeneration because it involves giving life to a dead soul. It says up in verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. So how many does the Father draw? All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. All that the Father giveth me. Jesus Christ died for those that the Father gave Him. Do you know who those were? That's the world of John 3.16. It's not everybody. It's the world. It's those that would believe on Him of John 3.14 and 15 that were, that were still alive if you compare it to the fiery serpents. Are you with me? There were, there were much people dead in Numbers chapter 21 that the brass serpent couldn't help. So God had made a choice already this, this much people is not going to be saved from the fiery serpents. These people will be saved because at this point, I had Moses put up a serpent in the wilderness. And just as Moses put up a serpent in the wilderness, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And I want to tell you, there's a cross, there's a cross by the eye of faith 2,000 years ago that hung the Son of God between heaven and earth. And God turned His back on His own Son and the sun of this, this, this solar system was darkened. And there was an earthquake. And the power of God was present. And the power of God was so powerful. A cursing thief believed in the Lord Jesus Christ so that that Savior said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Yeah. The power of God that was present was so great. A centurion said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Do you want to know you have eternal life? I know I sound Arminian, but I don't care what I sound like as long as I sound scriptural. Amen. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Do you love Him today? That Anna asked you that we just heard about, did she love the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it this much to this much when it's Anna Askew versus Jonathan Crosby? Lord, can you get me up to this much? I hope it's more than that. You know, our trials are different. But in our trials that are different, can we still look to Christ and find our strength in Him and our consolation in Him? That shows that we love Him and we believe on Him. Do you see in John chapter 6 that uh, God, no man can come to me. God has to do His work to get anyone to believe on Jesus Christ. Look at John 8. John 8. Many, many, many years ago, decades ago now, I preached a sermon, I think it was entitled Reclaiming John 3.16. Yep. And the only verses I would use were the verses of John. Because John explains John 3.16 better than anyone else in the Bible. Right. He should. He wrote it. Look at John 8. These are verses that we've, we've come to love over many years. Verse 43. Speaking to Jews that had believed on Him, but hadn't really believed on Him. Why do you not understand my speech? Jesus asking these Jews that had some, in some way believed on Him, why do you not understand My speech? I'll tell you why you don't understand My speech. You can't even hear My Word. Even though your audio nerves are still working well enough to hear a sound that's coming out of My mouth, you have no concept of what I am saying. That's why you don't believe Me. That's why you don't hear My speech. You can't even hear Me. John 8.43 then he, then he explains it in John 8, 47. Yeah. Well, we don't want to jump there too fast. Look what he says in, in verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, 
when the gospel doesn't mean anything to you and you can't hear anything in it but foolishness, you're a child of the devil. Then verse 47. Oh, Lord, thank you for verse 47. He that is of God heareth God's words. Now, which comes first? Hearing God's word in order to be of God or being of God in order to hear God's word? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. This is all in the gospel of John. Why do they all want to stop with John 3.16? It's because that's the most they can memorize. Is one verse. You don't want to make it too complicated for them. They've never read the Gospel of John. They don't know anything about what John taught about the doctrine of salvation except one verse taken out of, concept, out of context. It is a shame. We were there in the past, but we're no longer there. John chapter 10, verse 26, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Well, couldn't they just believe on Jesus and become his sheep? No, they had to be his sheep in order to believe. And so we could go down, we go through the Gospel of John. My, my dear brethren, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Is that a true statement? What salvation is under consideration? The final phase of salvation. The real standing before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Is there also a future practical benefit of believing on Christ? Yes, indeed. But not in Romans chapter 10, and I taught you in that chapter, that what is at stake in Romans chapter 10 is justification in the righteousness of Christ before God. The Jews were trying to establish it by keeping the law of Moses, and the Apostle Paul said it is all by Christ. And how do you know that you're Christ? If you'll confess with your mouth, do you know what it meant for a Jew to confess with his mouth the Lord Jesus Christ? Persecution, possible martyrdom, punishment, cast out of the temple, relatives cutting him off. And if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If a man believes in his heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, what's already happened to him? He's already been born again. He's already been justified. And he's already been elected and predestinated under that because the Bible teaches us this progression. But he shall be saved in the great day of judgment. And so if you want, all you have to do is believe in order to lay hold of the righteousness of Christ for you. Now, your laying hold of it does not change your position in heaven, but it sure changes your position in your own mind. Right. When you can find verses in the Bible telling you that the man that does the believing is the man that's going to be saved. Turn over a few pages to 1 Corinthians 12, 3. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. I just quoted to you from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. That if thou shalt believe, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. But we come over to 1 Corinthians 12, 3, just to back up that promise. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you know, when we get baptized, we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. When we join the church, we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. When we sing songs in here, we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. I hope that talking to each other, we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Thou shalt be saved. It certainly isn't saying, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you'll be born again. 
Because the whole Bible teaches that a man dead in trespasses and sin needs to be born again before he can confess with his mouth the Lord Jesus, which is why I've turned you to 1 Corinthians 12.3. Let's look at when a man says something about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12.3, Wherefore, I give you to understand. Do you want to understand Bible doctrine? Wherefore, I give you to understand. I'm going to teach you some doctrine. Paul's saying, I'm, and I'm trying to do it too. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So which do you have to have first? Saying that Jesus is Lord, or the Holy Ghost inside you? The Holy Ghost has to be inside you. Then you can say that Jesus Christ is Lord in a way that's recognized by God. Are there many people that say Jesus is Lord that is not recognized by God? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Praise the Lord! Lord! Jesus is Lord! Do you believe that? Do you show it in your life? You can only do it by the power of the Holy Ghost. They want to speak in tongues. Do you know what I want to do? By the power of the Holy Spirit? Say Jesus is Lord. And then live it. Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus, I'll give that up for you. Lord Jesus, what wilt thou have me to do? When we say that and mean it, the Holy Ghost already did it inside of us because we're already born again and we've already been given that unction from on high. Thank you, Lord. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. You want to make sure that your confession that Jesus is Lord is valid? Watch this. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I've made this study longer than some might think that it should be, but brethren, can we just, can we just bask in the assurance of our eternal life and our love of Christ and the greatness of our Savior and how we can know that He died for us? I appreciate some that have encouraged me that I've expanded this series, and if you saw the outline, you would know how greatly it is expanded because I, I want to put down all. Do you know what people write me? If I were to believe in election like you believe in election, how can I know that I'm saved? Wait a minute. On what basis do you think you're saved? Because you made a decision for Jesus? I want God making the decision for me. That's what election is. That's all election is. God made the choice for me. Why? Watch this. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now remember that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, is that the proper order or do you usually believe and then confess? We went over that when we were there in Romans chapter 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's a confession. Another word for confession is profession. To profess Christ. Watch what Paul how Paul encourages Timothy to move beyond that. Verse 11, 1 Timothy 6.11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things. That is the pursuit of material wealth and money in the verses 6-10. through 10. Thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. These six things that we ought to have in our lives. Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now notice, 
In the apostles' reasoning, Timothy has already professed a good profession before many witnesses. Many people have heard Timothy profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But notice what Timothy was supposed to do to lay hold of eternal life. To write down that date? How was he supposed to lay hold of eternal life? Fight the good fight of faith, which is doing what? Fleeing the six things of verse 11. And fighting the good fight of faith. Those six... No, fleeing the things that came before this in verses 6 through 10 and following after... There's a perfect sermon here called Flee, Follow, and Fight. Do you want me to do that in the second service? Flee, Follow, and Fight. Fleeing the material wealth and the worldly ambitions and pursuits of verses 6 through 10 to follow after the six things that are listed right here. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, and the fight the good fight of faith. You hold fast to the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't give it up. You can lay hold of eternal life. You've already professed it. Now lay hold of it. Amen. And that's the whole gospel, is that we get started by faith, and then we add to our faith the things that are listed over there in Second Peter chapter 1. Brethren, since I've destroyed my time management for this sermon, can I... There's one sister that's greatly amused at my trouble, and I know it's affectionate. But let me, sh- let me share a few more verses from John when he wrote the first epistle. First John, please. First John. You know we're going to get no further than this. We have hated decisional regeneration. We hate decisional salvation, and righteously so. But let us not throw the baby out in the bathwater. The first thing we want to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior from sin. He is God's substitute. He is our Redeemer. Only through Christ do we have salvation. We want to flee to Him, run to Him, embrace Him, cleave to Him, love Him, and hate all others. There is no substitute for believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And from there we go. But I want to tell you a secret, brethren, which I'm not going to get to today except to tell you right now. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, you are given the earnest of your inheritance, which is the Holy Spirit of the living God. When you have that Holy Spirit of the living God in you after believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that Spirit within you increases your ability and your desire to do those things that are pleasing to Him so that you can follow forward with repentance, with baptism, with good works, with laying hold of eternal life, with hating this world. But you know what? If in our hatred of Arminianism, we cut down the emphasis on believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we deprive and starve ourselves. We must... Go to our faith in Christ and start there. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right now? Do you love Him? Is He Lord of all? Is He Lord of you? Will you do anything He asks you to do? Do you know that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved? Father in heaven, if I have led this church away from the crown of the road because of my hatred of a false doctrine. Forgive me and forgive them and forgive us and help us see the Lord Jesus Christ in His glorious splendor and to come to Him and run to Him and flee to Him and fall at His feet and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is what we all must do. We can't grow up believing the five phases of salvation 
The devils believe the five phases of salvation, but they don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. They know He's the Son of God, but they don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help me in a couple of minutes. 1 John chapter 5. Let me give you a verse that I shared with you last Sunday or the Sunday before. It's chapter 4. It's verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Do you have the order correct there? When you have a shell in the first half of that verse, is that future tense? Whosoever shall confess. We're talking about confession, right? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. But if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, what is already true when you start confessing? God dwells in you, and you in God. Is that pretty easy to follow? Isn't this easy? But you know what? Until the Lord takes off the scales, we can't see a thing. All we hear is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, now shalt be saved. We think, well, that's when I'm born again. No. God had to give you the new birth before you ever did that. Whosoever shall confess. You ever write references in your Bible? Write 1 John 4.15 beside Romans 10.9 and 10. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. You know the order, don't you? God's already in him. He's already in God. And then he confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. So we come over to 1 John 5.1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Which happens first? Do you look at the order of verbs in a sentence and say, well, the believing comes first in the clause, and then it's born of God comes second in the clause. I would say that he believes first, and then he's born. Are you, you want to take your position on that? Let's take your position. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. A person has to believe first, and then they're born of God. Let's take your position. Let's look at 2.29. 1 John 2.29. If ye know that He is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. Okay, we have the exact construction in the second half of 1 John 2.29 as we do in 1 John 5.1. Do you see that? Okay, now do you want to take the same position? That you have to do righteousness in order to be born of God? I don't think so. You don't really want to do that, do you? That you have to do righteousness in order to be born of God? You say, I want more proof. I was hoping you'd ask. Chapter 4 and verse 7. Chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth, notice, remember, whosoever believeth, whoever doeth righteousness, everyone that loveth is born of God. Now does this mean that we have to love others in order to be born of God? Now think about what we've got to do in order to get born again. We've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We've got to do righteousness. And we've got to love the brethren. And the standard for loving the brethren in 1 John 4 is not that low. And that's what we've got to do in order to be born again. Uh-uh. Wrong. Remember, I started out with your assumption. 1 John 5, 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whosoever believeth is a present tense verb of believing on Jesus Christ is born of God is a perfect tense verb. Do you know how we would write it today? Do you know how the Greek interlinears write it today? Has been born of God. They all know. Right. Has been born of God. That's how we would write it today. 
but it's written in our, in our King James Bibles, is born of God. That present tense verb helper is born, past tense, passive voice, verb of an event that took place in the past, but is still present, still true in the present because it was perfected before the present. That's why it's called the perfect tense because it was perfected. It was an, an it was an action perfected by the present. So, if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, it shows that we're already born again. If we do righteousness, it shows we're already born again. If we love the brethren, it shows we're already born again. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, do you want an ad, you want a little verse to add on to that? It's 1 John 3.14. 1 John 3.14. This will clarify the one about love. And if it clarifies the one about love, it's going to clarify the one about doing righteousness. And it's going to clarify the one about believing on Christ. 1 John 3.14. We know. And that's what I'm preaching to you today. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. See, 1 John 4, 7 said, He that loveth his brother is born of God. And we, and we, when we look at it for the first pass, and we don't know our verb tenses very well, we say, well, the believing comes first in the clause and then the being born. So I'm not really sure, but then we learn about our verb tenses and we say, yep, being born has to come first before the believing. And then we look at the comparison with doing righteousness and we look at the comparison with believing on Christ. And we know that the new birth has to come first. I hope I'm not going too fast, but then we have a verse like this right here in the same little epistle that tells us exactly how we should view 1 John 5, 1, 1 John 2, 29, and 1 John 4, 7. How should we view them? We know that we have passed already from death unto life because we love the brethren. We know that we have passed from death into life because we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We know that we have passed from death into life because we do righteousness, 1 John 2, 29. One more, just a little bit more here in 1 John 5. You want, a book, you want a book that's committed to you knowing that you have eternal life? It's 1 John. You say, but it doesn't have making your calling and election sure. I know. Isn't that wonderful that the Bible has so many witnesses? There's so much here I would like to read to you. Will you let me read a few verses and we'll, we have got to quit. 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Are you born of God? You can overcome this world. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh this world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Do you know what that verse tells you about your faith? It's born of God. Right. You don't have faith in order to get born of God. You're born of God in order to have faith. Aren't we smart? Oh, no. There's a God in heaven. And he loves to show his precious things to babes. And we are babes, Lord, and we'll take anything you want to show us. We'll take the scraps from the table of wisdom anytime you'll let us crawl around beneath you. Lord, keep showing us your truth. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So a man that believes that Jesus is the Son of God, he's overcoming the world because he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What does that say about him? He's born of God. Amen. Because whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. But Now follow with me. We're down to verse 6. This is he. We are talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to present to you a Savior. This is he that came by water and blood. 
Even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Jesus Christ was manifested to the nation of Israel by water. When he was baptized, God thundered from heaven, dropped a dove down upon his head, and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ came by water. That's when he was manifested to the nation of Israel. He had lived for 30 years in obscurity as the son of Joseph. Then he was manifested by water and by blood on the cross of Calvary. The darkness that I referred to earlier. The earthquake. The rocks being rent. The veil in the temple being torn. Jesus Christ came by blood. And He came by the Spirit of the living God. Because the Spirit descended upon Him by a, like a dove. And the Spirit gave Him the power to perform miracles and signs and wonders that declared Him to be the Son of God. Jesus has a witness. So we have... I'm getting a... There's, there's a witness in earth. Verse 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And they all declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Three things happen on earth in verse 6 that declare Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. He came by water at His baptism. He came by blood at His crucifixion. And He came by the power of the Holy Ghost that was upon Him. Verse 8, And there are three that bear witness in earth. The Spirit and the water and the blood. The Spirit by the preaching of the apostles that give us the New Testament that tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. The water of water baptism when we are buried and resurrected from water showing a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and blood, the Lord's Supper, when we remember His death till He comes. There were three witnesses on earth when He was on earth. There are three witnesses in heaven. There are three witnesses on earth after He's gone into heaven. Those three, off, those three things of the New Testament church, the ordinances of preaching the gospel, water baptism... And and the Lord's Supper all testify of Jesus Christ. And do you know what, do you want to know what God says about all that? Verse nine. If we receive the witness of men, do you believe that Christopher Columbus sailed for this country in 1492 in ships named the Santa Maria? Now here we go. The Nina and the Pinto Bean. Is it something like that? Nina, do you believe the witness of men? You've never seen those boats. You've never met Christopher Columbus. You don't know if that's true or not. It could be part of Reconstructionism to replace history books. Tell you all about Christopher Columbus. Notice what the Lord tells us. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his son. What is his witness? Six, seven, and eight is the witness of Jesus Christ. He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. If you believe on Jesus Christ as the Son of God, where is the witness? Is it external or is it internal? And that's causing you to bear witness to it yourself. Do you want to know if you're saved? Run to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I believe that you're the only hope of my salvation. I will do whatever you ask me and tell me to do in my life. Have mercy upon me. I love you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.